0: So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. And uh, one of the critical things to do in sales is very much... If you don't get enough at-bats, being face-to-face, nose-to-nose with a a potential customer, you are unemployed. I heard that a long time ago, and it just startled me. What do you mean unemployed? I'm working. I'm busy doing stuff. But the question is, are you making money? And the answer was, no, I'm starving. So, yeah, if you don't get an appointment, uh, you're not a salesperson. You're an order taker waiting for the phone to ring. And today we have the privilege of having Brian Shirley with us today. He's a master at this, been in sales for a long time. And he's going to show us today how to pick a dream client and how to land that meeting. Brian, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks very much, Umar. And congratulations on 300 podcasts. That's uh, quite a lot of casting and I'm I'm honored to be here.
0: Excellent. Yeah. 300th episode. And when we first started, uh, we had about uh, a lot of success. We got up to about 89 episodes and somebody hacked the podcast, deleted all the podcasts, hoarded the podcast for about uh, 60 days till the podcast provider finally kicked him out, and so we had to start from scratch. So uh, glad to be back. And so, Brian, why don't you give us uh, the 411 on on who you are and what you do?
1: Great. Um, So I was a straight commission manufacturers representative salesperson for 20 years uh, in the Maryland, Virginia, and Philadelphia, Baltimore, Maryland area. And I left that business in the early 2000s, actually went into real estate development in the city of Philadelphia, mostly renovation work, but we did some uh, out-of-the-ground work as well. And in 2006, I had one of those great offers to move to Southern California and become the CEO of a trade association of manufacturers reps. And so pretty much liquidated our inventory in 06, moved out to California. And I think everyone knows what happened in 07 and 08. And I'm not that smart, but I looked like a real estate genius for a moment. So I spent about five years in the association world. And then Pretty much since then, I've been doing public speaking and consulting and coaching.
0: Brilliant. So, one of the things that's really challenging to do is to land those appointments because, you know, people are guarding their phones. You've got voicemail being uh, used to screen themselves. So, if we were, let's say, uh, I happen to be in uh, downtown Toronto right now, if I picked uh, 50 CEOs that I put on my wish list, what would be the strategy you would use to get a meeting with one of them in the next two weeks?
1: Great question. I think that uh, we, in sales, we have to be persistent. We have to stay persistent, but we must also be polite and be professional in your approach. So to me, it's a a blend or a combination again, persistently, but polite and professionally of uh, phone calls, voicemails, emails, <clears throat> direct mail, social media. And I think as everyone recognizes, probably the best method is referrals. And referrals sometimes hard to find and hard to get, but there's lots of information out there that you can find out someone who knows someone and that kind of thing. And not, you know, I, I've used LinkedIn a lot and sometimes I'll look at a third or a fourth connection kind of thing. I think sometimes that's valuable, but I think just, just sometimes sifting through some of the information you can find on the internet to, to find someone that could refer you into one of those 50 people.
0: Absolutely. And I think uh, that's something we often overlook. And what's interesting is uh, we have this uh, hotwired need to be part of a tribe. And uh, when you find out that the CEO went to this school and your friend's son went to that school, like who cares? But if you mentioned that on the initial meeting, I noticed you went to Princeton. Uh, my uh, best friend's son went there. That's enough for them to actually warm up and let the guard down and start that conversation. So looking at the LinkedIn profile, what's happening on Facebook, you're going to find some common areas of interest. And all you need is one of those to warm up that call. Referral is the best way in. That's one point of we're part of the same tribe, but you can find another. It, uh, deepens that connection and it removes the filters and it builds trust. Thoughts on that, Brian?
1: Yeah. And I think that it it is to we're trying to create and sustain relationships. So just like you say, Umar, you need to, in the beginning, <clears throat> find a connection, find a commonality, but you have to make sure that you're sincere. You're not going to write on the back of your hand, Princeton University. And then when you meet that person look at your cheat sheet, you have to be authentic and sincere, and sincere sincerely <laughs> interested in, in that person and the and the connection you're trying to establish. So I wouldn't just, uh, you know, I wouldn't list three things on the back of your hand that says "chocolate labs" because they have chocolate labs, Princeton University, and your daughter goes to the University of Richmond. I wouldn't list those things on your hand and hold them up in front of someone. Really, I think in sales, and I think really good salespeople are want to create relationships. I always say, try to turn your prospects into friends. Absolutely. Essentially, yeah. Essentially, aren't your customers your friends? So what you're t- trying to do in this create and sustain relationships is have authentic and empathetic relations that you create with prospects that then turns them into customers and then they automatically become friends.
0: So I think it really goes to the point of uh, intent. So let's say I was, uh, you've heard of this phrase, commission breath. We have a salesperson that's really desperate and somebody comes in and they can tell that their intent is to sell them something, whether they need it or not, even though you're masking it with the right words. So when you come in and say, before I make this call, what I want to do is I want to add a value to Brian's world. And the end result I want is for us to be friends. And if a byproduct of that happens to be uh, that we do business, all the better. But if my intent is friendship and being of value, uh, you can sense it in that conversation. The way I, my tonality, my body language, the questions I ask and the information I provide uh, lends to building trust. And you kind of get a sense of, I want to talk to this guy a little bit longer.
1: Absolutely. And it's really, you know, a good friend of mine, Graham, says, problem first, product last. Right. I don't, I don't like too many of the phrases like what keeps you up at night and all that kind of thing. But it's really what you want to get to is, Umar, what's what's the most biggest challenge you have on your desk today? What's the biggest challenge you have um, in your business? What's the biggest challenge you have in your life today? And then again, back to the being sincere and authentic and empathetic when you're truly understanding what they're telling you, if they open up and tell you a problem, and then go be the hero. Solve solve that problem. Just make sure that you know, you're know you solving the problem from their perspective of what their problem is, and you're going to be instantaneously uh, a trusted advisor to them.
0: Absolutely. I think when you're on a call, uh, whether it's in person or on the phone, if you could provide that that person with an insight that they didn't have before, because oftentimes the problems are uh, uh, too close to us to see. And being that consultant from afar, if you can go in and say, well, you know, what this means is X. If you can provide that insight, that is uh, one of the planks to building trust. Because like, wow, this guy is smart and I want to spend some more time with this person.
1: Yeah, and and again, following all the way through to solve that issue, and it might be something that you, as the salesperson, can't solve. When I tell you my problem, you might not be able to solve it. But we have a wonderful phrase here in Philadelphia, I know a guy. Yeah, I and know. So a guy. If, if I can't help you and solve your problem, you, I, most of us are very well connected in the sales stream. And we know someone that can probably help them with their issue or their problem. So again, make sure that you solve it. Don't just ask them what their biggest problem or challenge is.
0: I know, uh, I think uh, the guy that first said it was Southside Johnny, uh, but I could be mistaken there. One
1: of my favorites.
0: (laughs) I've got a friend in uh, his Fred Diamond. He runs the Institute for Excellence in Sales. And each time Southside Johnny, he's from Philly, comes to Washington, D.C., he's a groupie. I think uh, there's almost a restraining order, but uh, it's okay for now.
1: (laughs) I saw Southside last year at a casino in Philadelphia.
0: (laughs) Nice. So... One of the things is before you get on the call, you need to do some research. And uh, some salespeople, to avoid making the call, do a CIA-level deep dive into the background of this person, avoiding the call. So how long should you spend on your research? And how many pieces of data should you be collecting before you get on the call?
1: Great point because it doesn't take long, right? There's so much information out there that it's you sift through – Google even, and then LinkedIn, then Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, wherever you can find them and just uh, get to know them. But, right, you don't want to be stalking the person to the extent of finding all that information about it, but it certainly helps. I always say uh, three things in in that great salespeople do. Be prepared, and that's that research piece. Researching the company, researching the person, researching coworkers, and something that I think salespeople uh, don't do enough of, especially in industrial sales is researching the customer's customer. In other words, who does your customer sell to? And is, Mm -hmm. are they in a good market? What's the trend for that market? But again, um, I think in 10 or 15 minutes you, you find out all the research, but yeah, call reluctance. You got to pick the phone up, right? You got to do that. And again, in that persistent, polite and professional way.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, so what's a good way of uh, what are some of the best practices in using social media like LinkedIn, Sales Navigator, Twitter uh, when prospecting?
1: Yeah, I, I, again, make it personable, uh, personable and personal that instead of and I, I tell people this when I present, don't just click. I'd like to connect. I'd like to connect. I'd like to connect. That shows you went through a bunch of pages that say people you might know and click the box Will you connect with me. Umar, it was nice to meet you in Las Vegas at the peak performance. I would like to connect with you. Make it personal. Uh, you know, everyone gets all of the like to connects, which we, I, I mostly mm-hmm. refuse them if I don't know who they are and they just say they want to connect. Um, so again, make, personalize everything. We live in a very personal world.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so the opening, uh, six seconds of the call are the most critical. So if you don't get that right, because the reaction of the person receiving the call is very much, oh, shit, it's a sales call. Why do I pick this up? So what would you suggest in the first six seconds to uh, get them to go, okay, I want to give you some more time to figure out what you want? Yeah,
1: be clear in your intent, as you say, and, and identify yourself, obviously, and then say the purpose of my call. I, like you, you've you said this before, Laura, I want you know, 15 seconds of your time now. And then I want 15 minutes of your time face to face. And so it's being polite and saying, and here's why. And that is the value proposition or the value statement of what you tell them, why it's going to be important for them to speak with you for just 15 minutes of your time.
0: So you work with a lot of manufacturers, rep organizations. And what that means in English for the people listening is you've got uh, a company that basically has relationships with uh, customers and they go and figure out what the customers need and go get that line. So it could be uh, Sony and say, we'd like to represent you in this geographic area. We've got these accounts that we do business with. And Sony says, yeah, we'd love for you to do that. So you're working with those organizations, rep firms. So what does the first six seconds, 10 seconds sound like when you're calling people? So if I was someone running a manufacturer's uh, rep company, what would that, uh, why don't we just role play the first six seconds? I say hello, and what do you say, Brian?
1: (laughs) Uh, Again, always identify me and my rep company. So my name's Brian. I'm calling from ABC Rep Company. We are the manufacturer's representatives for Sony. That probably rings some bells right there. You're identifying and providing why I'm calling you, because I'd like to talk to you about uh, Sony components, Sony products, whatever they are.
0: And so for you, as uh, Brian calling to sales rep organizations because you want to help them be better, stronger, faster. What does that call sound like? So if I run a rep firm and you're a consultant coming in to say, I'm going to make you guys better. uh, I say, hello. What do you say, Brian?
1: I, I say several things about my consulting practice. I only want to work with you if I can move the needle. So I kind of in the very beginning, almost promise or guarantee that I will increase sales. Say if you follow my methodologies and if we talk, if it makes sense and if I can move the needle, I don't like to high pressure and say, I've done this, I've done that there, I've done all of that. I like to say what I can do for you is and then talk a little bit about what I've done for other people. Certainly sell on successes. I say SOS is so critical, no matter what you're selling, testimonials and success stories, referrals from successful customers, things like that. Sell on success for sure.
0: So Brian, what are the typical uh, objections salespeople would hear uh, when they're trying to set an appointment? So they get the first seconds, the person hears what they have to say, and then they say, what are the typical objections?
1: Well, we I don't think any of us need more phone calls or more emails in our inbox. right? So we're kind of plagued with that. But I also would uh, hesitate to uh, remind people that the old, adage about it takes seven touches to get an appointment. I think that number is now double. And I think somewhere between seven and 14, 90% of salespeople give up. So back to my being persistent, you have to be persistent and consistent as you're continuing to follow up these days, you know, depending upon your industry and what you sell, the easiest thing for people is they don't go to the office anymore. So that that's a, an objection to me. You need to be creative, do something different, unique and new and say, I'll meet you at Starbucks. I'll, how about if I buy you lunch? How about if I meet you wherever on a picnic table outside of your building, wherever it's convenient? I think we're back past the the COVID point of being able to see and touch people. Um, but again, there are some just the logistical part of are you back in the office or if you're back in the office one day a week, getting in to see them there. but. I think the customers especially depend upon your industry industrial sales calls after covid you know sales people were turned upside down mm-hmm. if you think about we used to go meet with people all of the time all the other functions in, in like in a manufacturing facility the purchasing people yeah they had to change things a little bit production people had to wear masks and gloves and things like that but the function to me that was most turned on our head was the salespeople. We were used to going out every day and meeting with it, talking to people. And we got that taken away from us. And good salespeople love to do that. So part of the getting back out there and getting in front of them, it's harder now because they kind of got used to not seeing you and they're okay with it. Or, again, they're still working from home and doing this type of communication, which is face to face, but it's not quite like being in the room.
0: So I'm going to give you some objections. You're calling me, uh, you're a sales rep. Let's say you are a consultant coming into a company and I say, hey, Brian, that sounds really good, but uh, I don't have time for this right now. Why don't you contact me in in the fall?
1: I'll put it on my calendar to call you on September 3rd.
0: Cool. (laughs) We don't have the budget.
1: Uh, I'd like to talk to you about what your budget is and what it will allow and what new products or new ventures or new buildings or new houses you intend to purchase. You know, what, what is the budget? If you're willing to share with it, it's not in the budget. Are you willing to share what the budget is and has?
0: Brian, tell me about a noteworthy call that you got, somebody selling you that uh, perhaps called you didn't want, but they were like so good at their craft that you basically, uh, we're happy to take that call. Do you have any particular memory of one of those uh, coming up?
1: I, I probably have a handful of those, <clears throat> which entailed when I was uh, in in, the, in, the, in the, our Southern New Jersey office and copier or, or printer people would come to, to make a pitch. And at that time I had the lofty title of president. So I would, if I had time, I'd let them come in. And I mean, that was a daily occurrence almost if I was there and I would love to see because they usually got some real professional training if they're coming in trying to sell me a a Minolta Conoco or a Xerox printer or something like that. So their, their training was pretty slick, but um, so I, I would invite that. And even on the phone, these days, not so much, we get so much spam on the phone, but Mm -hmm. if someone has a good approach a nice sounding voice and they tell me their intent right in the beginning i don't have to say what's your call in reference to because that's normally i have my finger on this on the hang up button so i think that uh, i i've had instances where people just again they're polite they're professional and they tell me what they're after
0: brilliant i've had a couple of times where i was uh, went to the gas station and as i'm doing what i'm doing there's a guy there selling a uh, headlight Cleaning solution. The guy says, Hey, you got a second? Uh, I noticed your things are a little uh, kind of frosty. Let me just take care of that for you. And they just put the application on. And as they're putting the application on, they made me hold the bottle. Did you hold it <laughs> for a second. Now I'm, not, now I'm not holding their product as they're doing it. And then they clean one of the headlights. They say, How do you like that? Oh, that's amazing. Then, of course, they're not doing the second one until you buy their product, and you got that uh, beautiful before and after, this thing that's cleaned and sparkling and this thing that's kind of faded. And so when I see people like that, I buy their product whether I I need it or not. I had this one where it was a bunch of Israelis in Maryland, and they're selling dead Dead Sea salt products for skincare, which, you know, I don't care about, but they were so persistent and handled the objection so well. It's like, how much is it? It's 40 bucks. I'm buying it just to reward you for being such a great salesperson because it takes an art, right? To be had that uh, skill, the uh, thick skin to take rejection and to keep on going. And that brings me to how do you develop that uh, ability to control your emotions because we live in this occupation where there is a ton of rejection, where people don't want to play or ignore you. How do you keep a positive attitude and keep going? Uh, I've done another
1: uh, webinar recently and the, the comments were all about the rejection of, of hearing no. And it was really amazing because I kind of chimed in and said, some of the best salespeople have the strongest rejection strength. It's something that's measurable and it is very important. And it's not the let me beat you over the head 10 times with a stick until you say yes. But I always joke that a customer that says no just means they don't understand yet.
0: Yeah, and I think if people say no, there's a couple things. So either they don't understand or we haven't shown them the value of our product or there isn't trust. And I think the fundamental thing we need to do is how do we build trust uh quickly with folks because that trust allows us to ask more poignant questions and also their uh uh filters uh dissolve and they answer those questions more truthfully because if clients tell us exactly what's going on uh my brother-in-law sells this to us and I'll never in a million years change. It's like okay thank you so much let's go as opposed to they don't trust you and it's like well, let me think about it. Are We're going to do this. And you think you've got a real viable opportunity or it could be, are you the decision maker? Absolutely. But if you have enough trust, it's like, well, actually the CFO and this person and that person have to sign off for, I can do this. And that's all stuff you need to know. Otherwise you're going to think you've done a really good job of getting this deal. And at the last minute find out that, no, I did not, <coughs> that, uh, uh, there's a whole new raft of characters that I never knew about.
1: Trust and rapport so important, and you have the capability in a first meeting, in a first contact, to either build it or use it. And,
0: uh, for sure, uh, let's remove this. Sorry about that.
1: No problem. And I, I also uh, am strongly convinced. Back to the product training of uh, whether it's printers or copiers or components or whatever it is, that we get so injected with product training that when we do get in front of a prospect we just can't help ourselves we want to tell them features benefits and advantages and i think that's such a wrong approach back to the tell me about you ask 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 we have two ears one mouth all of those phrases that we've heard a million times you go in don't start with let me tell you about this what it does what it and it's really neat and all that kind of stuff don't tell me about features benefits advantages you didn't not even ask me if I use or buy that product. So start with back to the, what's the issue? What's the problem? Or I always like to start with, you know, I'm not that familiar with your company. Can you tell me a little bit more about your company? And then we will move down to the most important thing. Tell me about what you do here. How long have you been here? What do you do? Personalize it. And again, it has to be authentic. You have to be sincerely interested. But to your point, at some point in the thing, you've been successful to get in and, and now you're sitting there you also have to qualify that account from a dollar amount from your confidence of, of capturing that business and then also from a timing standpoint when you tell me it's not in the budget or come back in the fall i understand the timing of it but we as good salespeople, have to have a keen sense of what's a dollar value of this account will be in the future what my confidence factor is that I can capture that business. And what is the timing of the sequence of those purchase orders, whether they're buying a house or buying components or whatever it
0: is? So, Brian, what's a way that a sales rep can continue to improve their prospecting skills to land those appointments?
1: Yeah, just uh, I'd say about broad and deep. If you're selling into a customer, or an account, you want to meet other people. We're so guilty of all, all salespeople are very guilty. Of, having one point of contact at a major account. You need to get broad and deep into the other departments, into the other functions. And simply by asking your main point of contact, look at that LinkedIn, look at whatever, and look at other people in that organization who are probably linked to the person that is your point of contact. And every time you go and say, I'm, in your mind, I'd like to meet one more person and maybe have that person or two people written down and ask your point of contact. Would it be possible for you to introduce me to so, um, getting again more reach, more people, everywhere, anywhere. It's all—it's all about new potential customers, new people at existing accounts, new companies, new distributors, new listings, new buyers. Whatever field you're in, it's all about new. New business opportunity is the lifeblood of salespeople.
0: Absolutely, I think uh, we need—we can measure a million things in sales, and certainly how much we sell is like a really important number. But I think. Uh, how many first appointments we have a week meaning the first time we talk with someone new is one of those critical factors that can predict the future because if you've got more first conversations you got a stronger uh, funnel, stronger pipeline and a freaking amazing year
1: yeah and in addition you're right there's lots of metrics in sales more so than there was 20 years ago with the sophisticated sales software and things like that, many things to measure. That's most important sales, sales commission, great information and easy to measure. But then you get into metrics like you're talking about as well as one that I've been measuring for years is amount of time face to face with the customer. And when, when COVID hit that went to zero. But I, if you looked at what percent of your time of your week of your month of your year, do you actually spend face to face nose to nose with a potential or a customer, it's a big metric.
0: It is a changing world, like uh, our friend uh, Gerhardt runs uh, Selling Power magazine. They do a lot of conferences and he was mentioning that uh, the virtual conferences has changed the economic equation of doing conferences, that they're uh, a lot more useful for people attending them, they're more useful for sponsors, they're more useful for companies. That is a win all around. And now I think they're looking to do some hybrid uh, versions of those as well with live events that are streaming as well. But uh, what one would have predicted beforehand was that uh, no one wants to do a virtual conference. They want to be there and be face to face. And the reality is people want both. And for your and my world from the public speaking side, it's it's so true. And uh
1: Gerhard's done a great job with the sales 3.0, which now is a on-site and virtual both. I think it's really difficult from a timing standpoint to expect someone from a virtual aspect to spend a day, like eight hours on, on a uh, webinar or, you know, on what we're doing here. But it, it, there, people have done very successfully to do bite sizes of that three hours one day, three hours the next day and that kind of thing. So I, I the other thing I see coming back in full force are conferences and also trade shows. I have a client in Southern California that's already this year attended two national trade shows and three regionals. So we're seeing more get back out there. Uh, sales is a contact sport. Yeah, right? absolutely. Get, get out there and touch people and and you have to be in front of people.
0: So what are some of the pitfalls that uh, salespeople uh, fall into that stop them from being highly effective in getting face-to-face appointments?
1: Uh, I I think back to the, you know, we are helping is the new selling. I think that there are some salespeople that are very assertive, if not aggressive, I call them. And I think at one point in my life, I was that person where I was chewing rusty nails and broken glass just to get to a new prospect. Mm. And I I think that that was kind of a a selfish or self-driven motivator. When again, it's back to what's in it for the customer. What is it, you know, helping is the new selling? How can I help them? What's the problem or issues you're facing? Instead of let me try to sell you my product
0: lines. So Brian, what is one piece of advice you would give sales people that would allow them to be more effective? Serve. Serve.
1: Serve your customers, be customer centric, sales focused. So again, back to the at some point, you, the salesperson, need to qualify the account and you're not going to say, I can't sell them anything, so I'm not going to help you, you help them as much as you can. But you need to have I I say it's kind of the best salespeople wake up and smell the money, wake up and know what direction. If you think about what we have as as salespeople, time is our currency. Time is the most important thing, especially if you're a straight commission salesperson. You get to wake up and decide, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do something else. And hopefully that's going to generate the highest dollar and highest income for the company and for yourself.
0: Brilliant. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. How can people get a hold of you? We're going to put your links in the show notes so people can find you. But uh, what's the best way to connect?
1: Um, Email is easiest and it's pretty simple. It's brian at bryanshirley.com. Brian's with a Y. So brian at Brianshirley.com.